Praise be Jesus Christ, and welcome to the second episode of CarmelCast. I'm Brother Pierre Giorgio of Christ the King. And I'm Brother John Mary of Jesus Crucified. CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, visit icspublications.org. So last week we were talking a little bit about the uh, theme of conversion um, and how it particularly pertains to um, the spiritual life in different stages. Um, and we talked about uh, three dispositions that um, in the Carmelite tradition are really uh, sort of prerequisite before um, we um, advance, uh, continue to advance in the spiritual life. Um, and those three dispositions, you had the, the three D's, right? Yeah. Um, determ- or desire, desire determination, determination, and discretion. Right. Um, so this week, our theme is just sort of an introduction to prayer in general, because um, St. Teresa of Avila in the Interior Castle talks about um, how really the that prayer is the doorway into the spiritual life. Um, and the dispositions are really um, necessary to bring us into that doorway, into the into the uh, practice of prayer. Um, so in this uh, episode, we really want to talk about um, the different ways of prayer that w- most of us are already familiar with. Um, and uh, four particular forms, I guess classical forms, you could say, of prayer. Um, those being um, how um, uh, um, St. Teresa talks about them, as well as... Uh, how they're just really sort of referred to um, in the tradition of the church, that being, uh, and the catechism, in fact, too, um, uh, the tradition of vocal prayer, uh, the tradition of um, just liturgical prayer, like praying um, in the context of mass or the liturgy of the hours, um, and then uh, the practice of meditative reading, um, forms of prayer such as like Lexio Divina is very popular uh, in the Benedictine tradition. Um, it has a place as well in our tradition. Um, and then finally, uh, the tradition of um, discursive meditation, sort of the uh, way of prayer that I think is most exemplified by um, St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, in his spiritual exercises. And I think these are all uh, types of prayer that, that most people are already familiar with in one way or another, even if they're not aware of, of the names necessarily and how mm-hmm. they're classified. Um, but I think that these are yeah, these are methods of prayer that we kind of learn growing up, often from a young age. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be good for us to go through and discuss them all uh, one one by one. Yeah, and I think the the really the important thing um, coming from the Carmelite perspective, because uh, some might get the idea that there's sort of this dichotomy, right, between um, well, I guess you could have like vocal prayer on one side and mental prayer on the other side. And I think that's sort of a false dichotomy, right? Um, Teresa, St. Teresa of Avila makes it very clear that all sorts of prayers, um, types of prayer, and that uh, these um, classical forms of prayers are modes, I guess you could say, or means or ways uh, in which we um, can pray mentally. Right, because for, uh, I mean, it seems like in the Carmelite tradition we talk about uh, mental prayer. That's usually the term that, I mean, Teresa uses, and we hear that word a lot. And I think that people often think of it as something perhaps opposed to um well, my time in Mass is, mm-hmm. is a distinct time from my time of mental prayer, or my praying of the rosary is separate from my time of mental prayer. Yeah, and I think that's a, f- a false dichotomy in, in Teresa's understanding, because um, she herself, de- I mean, she defines mental prayer as just being 
taking time to be alone with him who we know loves us. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just an intimate sharing between friends. Yeah, I think in all those forms of prayers, uh, prayer are suitable um, ways to enter into that, that relationship. And we should never look at um, these types of classical forms of prayers as sort of stages on the way to higher forms of prayer because um, for Teresa, uh, the, the soul is constantly coming back. Um, and based on the circumstances of our daily life, we have uh, at times, and we'll talk about this today, um, times where we where vocal prayer is more helpful. And um, of course, liturgical prayer being um, the prayer of the church that we are you know, coming back to every day. Right. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make in interpreting both Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross is um, they see that that they talk about these different stages, perhaps, or, or just the, the path of the spiritual journey. And then they assume that those who are further along, that it's somehow you leave behind some mm -hmm. of the things that you learned earlier on. Whereas, I mean, Teresa, is especially concerning self-knowledge, but Teresa talks very much about how we return to those things from the beginning so often. And so all of these forms of prayer that we're going to be talking about, vocal prayer, um, meditative reading, all of these liturgical prayer, they're all, they're important always, no matter where we are in the spiritual life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the best place to start is probably the prayer that, uh, that we're, you know, probably most familiar with and the prayer that our Lord himself taught us, and that's uh, vocal prayers, right? Um, many of these, of the vocal prayers that we're so familiar uh, with uh, have scriptural, ba have a scriptural foundation. I remember being uh, in the Holy Land and visiting the church, uh, the location where, it said that Jesus taught uh, the apostles, the Our Father, um, and really being able to pray that prayer there in that place and just reflecting over, yeah, just how, how incredible a prayer it really is. And mm -hmm. especially within the tradition that it was coming from in the Jewish tradition for Jesus to, to not only say, um, like, my, like my Father, because I'm the Son of God, but to say Our Father was just like breaking down all of mm -hmm. these barriers, inviting all of us to, to look at uh, as God, as our Father. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I went to a, a lecture yesterday on um, the virtue of religion in St. Thomas Aquinas at, uh, with the Dominicans in D.C. Um, and one of the lecturers was talking about um, how in the, in the classical world, in the world of Aristotle and Plato, um, piety was um, a virtue that referred to our, our, you know, our physical earthly father and how... Um, in many ways, uh, the Lord sort of turns this back towards God and, and uh, really transformed our understanding of the virtue of piety as uh, extending to um, to God as Father. Right, yeah, and I think that yeah, we see that the Our Father really is, um, I, I think both Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross mentioned this, that the Our Father really is kind of the, the focus or this, the central prayer. of It's the prayer above all prayers. Mm -hmm. It's the prayer that Jesus himself taught to us. Um, and it's it's really uh, uh, they say that all John of the Cross says that all prayer encapsulated. is encapsulated <laughs> in in the Our in the in the petitions contained in the Our Father. Mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila was concerned at one time because of the Inquisition; they were taking away a lot of the books, um, and so that was a time when she really she was concerned. Well, I mean, she said that Jesus would be her book, um, but also she this, she had this great realization that the um, the, the the prayers given to us that our father is really all that she needed yeah and there's a the great section of the way of perfection where uh, she really it's really a, a treatise on the our father for her 
um, her teaching of, of slowly meditating on uh, the different words um, in the, the later half, of the, the second half of the Way of Perfection. And then she mentions another time in, uh, the, I think it's in the Way of Perfection as well, where she talks about uh, how she knows a, a woman who, she came because she was concerned because she would begin praying to Our Father, but she would never move beyond. She would just pray it slowly, and it would take an entire hour. And uh, Teresa is, is is actually very excited by this. She's saying, "Yes, this is this is the goal of this prayer." Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit in um, this idea of vocal prayer um, to sort of, um, I guess, what Teresa uh, wants to teach us about. The, the benefit and the use and um, the excellence of vocal prayers. Um, and, you know, I think in my own life of the different vocal prayers that are part of my daily sort of devotions, um, the prayers before Mass of St. Thomas Aquinas, um, the, uh, the prayers uh, after receiving commun- the Anima Christi after, after communion, um, the, the, um, the 15 prayers of St. Uh, Brigitte of Sweden, uh, meditating on um, the, the Passion of Our Lord. Um, all of these uh, prayers that are, you know, the Divine Mercy Chapel in the Hour of Mercy, um, all these prayers are ways of sort of punctuating or perforating um, the day, um, both in the context of morning Mass as well as, um, you know, I pray the 15 prayers of St. Br- Bridget throughout the day. You know, I don't do them all at once, but to meditate, be meditating on um, the Passion of Christ throughout the day. And... Um, how important it is and what the use of this is, I think, is to bring us towards recollection of um, how God is present within us at all times. And uh, yeah, these prayers really, um, partly because of their repetitive nature and how we learn them from an early age, they they really sink down into the, our very cores. Um, one thing I experienced when uh, doing a lot of ministry in nursing homes is a lot of people who had... Um, were really struggling with uh, with memory loss. Um, they couldn't remember a lot of things. They wouldn't even remember who you were. Mm-hmm. But when you pulled out those rosary beads, they remembered the the prayers that they were taught from a very young age. Right. Um, and that just shows how these. It's not that these are mindless, but they they go deeper than the mind, even down to our our souls. Um, and so they, it is a really powerful method of prayer. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, to stress this again, not to think of that, um, that false dichotomy of, you know, vocal prayer is something that we're supposed to move away from. Um, like you mentioned, on the stages of life um, from, you know, a young age uh, as, you know, a, um, you know, a preschooler, right, learning the Our Father and the Hail Mary. Um, so maybe a little bit, you know, I remember I had to learn the, the, uh, the, the um, Nicene Creed before receiving First Communion. Um, but again, at the end of our life, how these prayers sort of come back. But it's not just limited to that. It's throughout. You know, it's it's on a daily basis. These prayers are effective means to um, to um, deep contemplative prayer. Yeah. So I think that's a good, uh, pretty good uh, explanation then of, of vocal prayer. Um, maybe then now we can introduce the the next um, kind of mode of prayer that we want to talk about, which is liturgical prayer, mm-hmm. um, which actually is. I mean, it's kind of the the height and I mean it's the summit of of our entire lives is mm-hmm. is a liturgical prayer celebrated in the um, the Holy Mass. Yeah, and I think I know you know there are probably many people watching this podcast that um, or listening who are you know find themselves very much led um, by God in the liturgy uh, and through good liturgy too. Um, you know we we can tell the difference right uh, of of 
the liturgy, the mass that is the, the holy sacrifice, the mass that is uh, said with with great reverence and devotion, um, as opposed to a mass that is sort of rushed um, or uh, distasteful in, in many different ways. Um, so I think you know to affirm uh, that sort of attitude um, that God uh, you know does lead people by by this way of of you know prayer through through good liturgy. Right. Yeah. God definitely uses these means, and I, again, like like vocal prayer, we'll find at different times in our lives that uh, it'll take more significance than others. I know, you know, you go through periods where you feel like you're not really getting a lot out of mass, um, but there's still the beauty of being there and giving yourself to the community and giving yourself to God. Um, and then other times, really, I find, uh, yeah, that that mass is really kind of what's giving me strength uh, yeah. and flowing then into the rest of my prayer life. And the liturgy, I mean, didn't, you know, drop out of a hat or anything like that. You know, the, the prayers that we pray at Mass are all um, written in order to prepare ourselves to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, so, and that's, that's a, a very profound moment in our day, right? The, the, the sacramental reception of our Lord. Yeah, so what do you think that the, I mean, the Carmelite tradition then has to say about liturgical uh, prayer? Because I feel like that's one... I mean, it seems like Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross, they didn't write too much explicitly about mm-hmm. the liturgy and liturgical prayer. Yeah, in, in, yeah, in terms of like uh, how to, you know, a how-to manuals in terms of how to be recollected during the Mass or anything like that. But I think we can really see um, the ways in which the liturgy was so formative in, um, yeah, their great holiness, right? Um, I think of the great importance that um, St. Teresa of Avila had the great graces she received, I guess, uh, in throughout her life uh, tied to specific liturgical days. Um, you know, we talk about uh, the great graces she received on the Feast of Pentecost, um, as well as um, the great devotion which uh, she, you know, instructed her nuns to celebrate um, Feasts of St. Joseph. Um, those being, I guess, those more liturgical sort of um, calendar um, aspects were so uh, important to uh, St. Teresa. Yeah, and, and that really would have been just ingrained in their lives in the mm-hmm. monasteries. I think they lived and breathed liturgical lives. Yeah, I know that uh, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, uh, when I, she was very much uh, formed in a Benedictine tradition, her spiritual director before she became a Carmelite, was Benedictine, and she always spent Holy Week at a Benedictine monastery in, uh, in the southeast of Germany. Before she entered the convent. Right, before she had the convent, before she was a Carmelite nun. Um, and uh, she talks about, I guess, the, the great, that great formative experience of, of uh, really celebrating the feasts of the year. Um, many of her spiritual writings are uh, sort of exhortations that she wrote uh, pertaining to specific feasts. We, you know, the, her famous uh, writing the mystery, on the mystery of Christmas. Um, and uh, she even has... Uh, short little essays on like uh, St. Elizabeth of uh, Thuringia, like some of these more obscure saints that we might not know as much about. But um, and she, of course, uh, writes about the sort of ecclesial dimension that is so important in um, the liturgy as well as we celebrate it and pray, really pray the Mass. Yeah, because I think there can be a false understanding, again, of this dichotomy between um, Carmelite mental prayer or contemplative prayer and liturgical prayer as as there's somehow a separate thing and like almost as if they're opposed to one another. Um, and I think that's a very dangerous understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and there's even this this I think false idea that Carmelite liturgy is somehow just like this bare bones sort of, um, yeah, just uh, uh, kind of like a short like get this over with so we can get on for the rest of our prayer. <laughs> um, but if you look at again the life of Saint John of the Cross, I mean, he lived and breathed the liturgy. Um, he even you hear the stories about him just like. Uh, dancing around with the the child Jesus uh, on Christmas or all the processions that they had mm-hmm. uh, in the monastery for different yeah, feast days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, this this is not something that it is all at all opposed to mm-hmm. uh, other types of prayer. This is actually, um, yeah, the, I mean, the Eucharist especially is the source and summit of our lives. And so all of our prayer should f- um, flow from the, uh, well, fl- yeah, should point to the Eucharist and then also flow from the Eucharist. Yeah, and um, I'm reminded of, of uh, sort of the witness of uh, Venerable Anne of Jesus who talks about um, with St. Teresa how uh, even though she was, you know, after receiving communion so uh, recollected um, having received our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament um, that she was always still persi- persi- uh, participating um, in the the chance uh, after communion, um, and the importance of of um, uh, of still participating, but as well as trying as remaining recollected. Yeah. So now let's maybe move on to the next our next um, the mode of prayer, um, which I guess we had some discussion earlier about like <laughs> what do we want to call this type of prayer this mode of prayer. We I think we settled on meditative reading, but right. um, I mean we could call it many different things. Lexio divina. Um, some would call it spiritual reading, but I think even with that, there's kind of, we need to make a distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, when I think of meditative reading, um, I'm thinking of something that's a little bit different from simply just reading a spiritual book um, for the sake of instructing myself. But I think that's more spiritual reading in that sense. I think that's the distinction that I would make. Um, whereas meditative reading, I think, is selecting a, a passage in order to um, meditate upon it. Yes. Yeah. Rather than reading, uh, to to go through something, it's more the focus is more on the prayer and mm-hmm. less, I think, on on the reading. Yeah, and, and you could you could even um, you know spend yeah several weeks on one passage if it's if it's uh, bearing fruit in um, allowing us to become recollected in the practice of mental prayer. I'm always amazed that one of our friars uh, in mental prayer in, in the choir he'll. He'll pull out, you know, his he has a Kindle and he'll pull it out and he'll read like for for ten seconds. I mean, he probably reads one <laughs> sentence and then he closes it and then he sits there and prays for an entire, yeah, an entire hour. hour. But he does that every single day, <laughs> and so it's just yeah, it's beautiful to think that there's that's all it takes sometimes is is just uh, there's so much depth there. Yeah, and um, I think one of the great you know uh, aspects or I guess the great tool of meditative reading is. Um, I guess the the things that it can produce um, within us in the act of prayer, um, it allows us to sort of, you know, gather our attention. You know, most of the time when we're coming into prayer, we're coming from something else. Uh, so that idea of uh, gathering our att- our attention in order to sort of bring us, uh, quiet us down, um, as well as um, the ability for, you know, different passages to uh, kind of provoke, I guess, um, the act of reflection um, and what does this passage you know, have to do with my life t- today and this moment and things like that. 
So there's there's not really like one way to go about meditative reading. Uh, it seems like I mean there's several different ways that that you could could do that. Yeah, I think uh, for instance, um, in you know our actual spiritual reading, like the reading we do, um, whatever reading a book to read a book, right? Um, we may come across certain passages and we'll, you know, we struck like that's r- really insightful or that's that's really beautiful or really powerful. Um, and that's a good opportunity to sort of write that down on a, on a piece of paper or an index card and, and bring that to prayer to meditate over um, or bring the book as well. I think, yeah, I think there is some, I think there is, there's a lot of, you know, there's benefit to um, having a book uh, at the place where we pray um, and, you know, always being careful that we're not, you know, reading it to get to the end, right? That uh, it's, uh, we read and, you know, read the past, uh, read the book until we get to a point where we're, I guess, struck or given uh, some insight or um, rec- we become recollected, right? And then to, you know, put the book down and allow that, uh, that moment to, um, to God to speak, us, to speak to us in that moment. Yeah. And I, I always keep a book next to me too, when I'm praying. And I find that um, especially if I'm just feeling extremely distracted or tired, um, that's usually I'll, that's when I'll pick up the book uh, and just read a little bit because, like you mentioned earlier, it kind of it helps me to, to focus my mind and my, kind of settle my imagination. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Teresa Vavala, Saint Teresa Vavala, she says that um, for 14 years she she just couldn't pray without having a book nearby, and she's constantly talking about you know good books and. Um, you know, what they can do for us and, and, and um, yeah, just the benefit of, of uh, constantly, you know, having, having uh, good material to, to help us to become recollected. Um, she talks about how spiritual reading is, um, you know, to kind of go off on your point, she talks about how it's a shield from distraction um, and how it's even um, can be a remedy for aridity in prayer when our prayer seems to become dry um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think she says that, like, um, that, uh, you know, good books and the use of good books in prayer are even, I think she says, bait for the soul, right? That idea that they're, it, it you know, draws our soul, awakes our soul, right? Um, right? And awakes within us the presence of God uh, who dwells within us. Right. Yeah. And the, the, and the, the primary book then that we should be using in our prayer would be the Bible. Yeah. Um, Scripture. I mean, that's where God is speaking to us most. And I find, um, yeah, often I'll, if I, I've heard a scripture, perhaps when praying the liturgy, the hours or something in mass, something that struck my attention, I think that's often the Holy Spirit working. Uh, I'll remember that and then return to that passage and read it slowly um, and meditate on it. Usually I think, yeah, it's a sign that God wants to tell me something through this passage. Right. I think uh, this is, again, um, something to to connect to this idea of how, um, you know, spiritual reading is, is, is not just a beginning sort of uh, method, but it's, it's constantly coming through. Um, even people who are very, you know, advanced in the, in their spiritual life and in their way of praying and are very devoted, um, to praying every day for extended periods of time. Um, there can be a, a problem when at the end of the, of a very busy day, or I think of like when traveling, that's probably the hardest, the hardest days to, to do mental prayer, right? Um, and how uh, spiritual uh, meditative reading can be a really good way um, to rather than just skipping the time of prayer because, well, it's not going to be what I normally do. I just can't do that today um, to, you know, allow that as an opportunity when we're tired or when we're 
preoccupied um, to bring, you know, to make prayer a priority. Yeah, I think of times when I'm either if I have a test later in the day, yeah. or you, it's so tempting just to go through your mind and like kind of continue studying the entire time when you're <laughs> supposed to be praying. So you're very preoccupied with something. That's a time I find that uh, reading something can help to focus me. Also, if I'm just upset with something, like perhaps just before I came into mm-hmm. the choir for prayer, something happened that's got me frustrated. Again, I, I could sit there and just dwell on these thoughts for the entire hour, or I can turn my mind to a book that'll kind of force me to, to turn my focus to the Lord. Yeah. And then also, you know, for beginners too, I think this is a good way to sort of introduce yourself. If you've never meditated before, um, meditating with a book, I think is, uh, it's very simple and, you know, you just read and you stop when, uh, you become recollected, right. And, and, uh, allow that, uh, those inspiring moments to just sort of, uh, simmer, right. Um, and always, uh, always directing, um, our thoughts uh, in those moments uh, to the Lord who's with us. Yeah, I think that's a, a good transition now into the the fourth and final uh, mode of prayer that we wanted to talk about today, um, discursive meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess the, um, the probably the most famous way of discursive meditation is the one that St. Ignatius of Loyola proposes um, throughout the spiritual exercises um, as a part of uh, that the you know, the, the spiritual exercises that he wrote, um, he tells uh, the person who is uh, reading them to, uh, you know, for three days, meditate on the passion of Christ. I think that's probably the one that people are most familiar with. Um, or for three days, uh, meditate on in thanksgiving for uh, the graces that God has given you in, in this aspect of your life. Um, I think uh, uh, another sort of popular uh, new way that this sort of comes up are, um, I know when I worked in youth ministry, we had in the, our little library collection, those books of guided meditations, right? It's just sort of like uh, meditating through um, uh, Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and um, sort of uh, provoking thoughts and things like that. And this has a huge tradition um, in the church, too, with these uh, med- meditation books, right? Um, on uh, For times of, uh, for instance, Eucharistic Adoration, I think, of a lot of them. Um, yeah. yeah, and discursive meditation can also be less formalized, too, in, than in just in books. Um, I think of when I was first uh, really kind of in my college, when I was in college having kind of a conversion to the faith, um, I was going through and doing a lot of study on my own uh, about the teachings of the Catholic faith. And in my times of prayer, I was finding it very fruitful just to reflect on uh, those those teachings of the church. And I think that's kind of a less sort of formal method of of discursive meditation. Yeah, I think that's, that's um, a really great way um, for both someone who's uh, maybe just discovered, for instance, like the catechism or, or uh, books about the teachings of the church, as well as someone who's, I, I mean, I think of, of you and I who are you know, students of theology uh, studying formally to, to be theologians, right? Um, and how uh, I think of like the times when we walk back from class and sometimes it gets a little quiet because um, the provoking, thought-provoking lecture, um, you know, starts to ruminate a little bit, and it's a good way of bringing what we've learned um, in class to uh, our own experience of God in our life. Yeah, I think again, people can see a dichotomy between discursive meditation, perhaps, and and mental prayer um, or contemplative prayer, and I think it's it, there's nothing opposed here. Um, <laughs> But it is interesting that when we read Teresa of Avila, it seems like at times like she didn't always speak extremely highly of discursive yeah. meditation. 
Yeah, I, and I don't think that she was saying that there's uh, absolutely no no place for it. Um, I think that you know, even if she didn't know it, um, in her uh, sort of the way that the way she wrote kind of perforated her day. Um, I think of people who journal, for instance. Um, I think maybe some of her writings could have been sort of composed in this sort of constructing ideas about God, right? Um, in because she was under obedience to write things down, right? Um, so there's there's definitely that aspect. But I think, um, you know, she didn't like writing either. So it was, I think it was very laborious for her. Mm-hmm. And I think similarly, sort of discursive meditation was probably, I think as she calls it, is was too laborious and she found it to be... Um, yeah, she found it difficult to sort of keep her thoughts under control. Yeah, it's interesting because um, she found meditative reading to be very helpful in kind of uh, controlling her wild imagination, <laughs> but she found that dis- discursive meditation did the opposite for her. Um, but still, she did speak highly about this this practice and that people found it helpful in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really depends on the individual because some people will find discur- discursive meditation, especially at different times of their life, really helpful in kind of focusing their imagination and focusing their attention on the things of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I Teresa talks about um, discursive meditation, and one of her most famous lines comes from, um, I guess, a, not a, a, maybe a caveat maybe a good way to put it, but um, she says that the, um, the goal is not to think much, but to love much. Um, and that's what uh, prayer is all about. If, if we're spending too much time thinking, then there's a danger that we can make the thinking or the concepts that we form or the writings, the things that we write down um, as sort of the end uh, of the prayer and the, the, the end of prayer that we're seeking. And that's, that's a false understanding. The, the end of prayer is to love God. Right. Yeah. And I think that can be the danger in all of these types of prayers. We always have to remember that, um, that the end of prayer is love of God. And that these are just, like we said, these are just modes in order to help us achieve that end. Mm-hmm. And so if we find something isn't helping us to achieve that end, then we should perhaps see that as an invitation from God to leave that thing behind and turn to something else for a time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think of, um, I know people have talked to me in you know sharing um, about how uh, for a time the rosary was uh, very fruitful, I guess, in, in bringing um, consolation and arousing their affections um, towards loving God, right? And then um, one day that sort of changes for them and uh, the rosary becomes more difficult and more laborious. Um, and they just want to, I think the reason is for that is because they they get to a point in the rosary where they become recollected. Um, and continuing praying Hail Marys might get in the way of that. Um, so that it's it's okay to to stop and and to because you're you know you're praying and you're actually achieving a higher uh, form of prayer, uh, um, as Teresa would say. Yeah, and that's I think that's a good introduction maybe then to what we're planning on talking about next week. Uh, we're talking about recollection and yeah. Um, how yeah this is sort of the the aim of a lot of this prayer for Teresa is towards um, a certain method of prayer which she calls the prayer of recollection. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, another uh, huge part um, that I really want to get into next next week too is uh, her um, teaching on the four waters as a, an analogy for um, the sort of the stepping stones of of prayer and uh, the um, yeah the stages that we go through as we you know progress in um, our ability to to pray and to pray well. 
yeah, so I want to end, I guess, with we want to end with a reading as we as we did last time. Um, so this week uh, we're going to read from the Way of Perfection, and it really pertains to um, a lot of what we were talking about uh, with vocal prayer. Um, this comes from, uh, I believe, chapter twenty-four of the Way of Perfection, um, and this is just sort of a, a, a several different passages from from chapter twenty-four. Well, what I now want to counsel you about is how you must pray vocally, for it's only right that you should understand what you're saying. When I say, Our Father, it will be an act of love to understand who this Father of ours is and who the Master is who taught us this prayer. I want you to understand that it is good for you, if you are to recite the Our Father well, to remain at the side of the Master who taught this prayer to you. This vocal prayer is now in fact mental prayer, But I tell you that surely I don't know how mental prayer can be separated from vocal prayer if the vocal prayer is to be recited well and with an understanding of whom we are speaking to. It is even an obligation that we strive to pray with attention. Hey everyone, Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalced Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.